1: Let's begin.
0: Good to have you with us, everybody. It's Monday, September 30th, 2019. End of the quarter. Profit Doctor's got something to say about that. Dr. Profit Doctor. (laughs) We'll talk to you about that in just a minute. Anyway, this podcast is created by mortgage professionals, it is for mortgage professionals, and we're grateful to have you as our listener. Our commitment is to bring you timely information in an audio format that you can listen to anytime and anywhere. In today's hot topic, we've got Dr. Alan Bernard, one of the leading decision scientists and theory of constraint experts in the world. As the CEO of Goldrat Research Labs, he has worked directly with Dr. Ellie Goldrat, internationally known for his studies in the theory of constraints. Anyway, talking really about the theory of constraints again, a lot of constraints out there. Can this theory of constraints work in your business? Well, we're going to have a workshop coming up on it, a master class. We'll tell you more about that in the podcast. We're proud to be a part of the Industry Syndicate. Check out IndustrySyndicate.com. You will check out all the podcasts, a lot of them are origination focused, but we're glad to be a part of that, as well as a part of the MBA, as well as the Community Mortgage Lenders of America. The MBA has uh, their upcoming conference here in Austin, Texas, coming up in uh, the October, starting October, well, Empower starts on October 26th, and the conference starts the following day on Sunday, the October 27th. Hope you're going to be here. I'm registered. We'll look forward to seeing you at the conference. Real excited about that. Black Knight. wants want to say a special thank you to them as a sponsor. Their actionable intelligence platform. Delivering data that drives growth and reduces costs. Go to their website. BlackKnightInc.com. Appreciate their sponsorship. As well as Open Mortgage. Leading buyer of reverse mortgage loans. As well as a home with some of the top LOs. And Finastra. Who's got their FusionBot solution. And... Also, their mobile app. I'm tell you, it is faster than a rocket, as they say, competing with that other company. Check it out. We're just uploading a new video about their new app. I encourage you to check it out on our website. Looking on lending. Also, ResX Warehouse Lending, a division of United Bank. Check out Ken Jones's recent interview on September 16th, just a few weeks back, on the three pillars of successful leadership. Also, special thank you to our collaboratives and our co-ops lenders one co-op the leading one of the first ones out there in the market as well as the mortgage collaborative both of these co-ops create competitive advantages for both lenders and vendors and we encourage you to check out their websites and you can go to again to our website also velma brent ambler and the team brent just sent me an email We've got some new things that are cooking up here we're gonna be checking that out check out velma.com as well as knowledge to providing, providing easy and fun training for mortgage lenders and then BidYard, which is a powerful video communications tool as well as our friends at AI Assist powered by Conversica. Again, Roman Venfield had an interview that we had and played on the podcast on July 16th, 2019. And then finally, a special thank you goes to Alice, Andy, Alan, and Joe for their contributions to this podcast. Rob Van Raphorst does a great job of bringing us a weekly MBA Mortgage Minute. So without further
2: ado, Rob, what you got? Hi, I'm Rob Van Raphorst. Welcome to the Mortgage Minute and the latest news from the Mortgage Bankers Association. Last week, President Trump signed the FY 2020 Continuing Appropriations Act. This is another continuing resolution that will avoid a government shutdown and fund the federal government through November 21st, 2019. The bill extends several programs that were scheduled to expire at the end of FY 2019. The National Flood Insurance Program, the Temporary Assistance for Needy Families Program, and the Export-Import Bank, among others. Also last week, the House Financial Services Committee's Subcommittee on Housing, Community Development and Insurance held a hearing on the FHA-HECM Program. The hearing's purpose was to explore the reverse mortgage program's benefits and challenges. Representative Joyce Beatty questioned witnesses on whether policymakers should consider separating FHA's Heckam and Ford mortgage programs, which are both supported by the Mutual Mortgage Insurance Fund. That's it for this week. Thanks for joining me. Special thank you to Robin. Really
0: appreciate that. Les Parker got an update for the TM Spotlight. So let's get the macro
3: view of the markets. Les. TM Spotlight Soundbite is brought to you by Force Advisors. Upside, inside, out. Bulls living la vida loca. Bears push and pull, bonds Down. Living La Vida Loca. Watching expectations shift makes traders go insane. How will hopes change for Brexit, China, and Hong Kong? What about shrinking liquidity at banks in both the advanced economies and emerging markets? How does Germany's looming recession affect others? Will value move in the 30-year mortgage rates outside of 380 and 350? Will the value range in the 10-year yield move beyond 2% or 1.4%? The bouncing market and dancing Uncertainty is driving rates crazy. Living la vida loca. These views are my own. Go to tmspotlight.com to subscribe to my daily newsletter. Yeah. Good job, Les. Good job, good job, good job. Yeah, you
0: know what? I'm in my car doing this podcast and losing my iPad. I forgot to hit the unmute button so you guys didn't hear all the stuff going on around here. Anyway, thank you. Appreciate it. And uh, it takes a team to do it. So good job, Les. Joe Farr, good to have you here. Hey, hey. <laughs> Everything technology was working with you fine, sir.
4: I'm hearing you fine.
0: Well, that's good. What you got for the weekly market update this week?
4: Okay, we're up just a little bit the chicago pmi number fell a good bit in september but despite that you know that is often a volatile reading and nps prices moved a little higher after that it's released but stocks are up nicely even though that came out there's been so much other stuff driving the stock market that uh, this is a minor event so looking at last week day nps uh, prices for the week were basically flat you know a down day on wednesday was offset by good days on thursday and friday And a lot of the fluctuations in MBS prices seem to be connected to moves in the stock market. So as investors shifted holdings between safe investments like government guaranteed bonds like MBS and riskier assets like stock, we saw those movements. On Wednesday, there was some optimism for a trade deal with China, which pushed stocks higher and bonds moved lower than on Friday. Trump's threat to place restrictions on U.S. investments in China caused the markets to go the other way to reverse that sell. And we've had some good housing data. Last week, we had good data two weeks ago. Last week, we had good data again. New home sales and pending home sales reports for August both far exceeded ex- expectations. New home sales now have the best three-month average since 2007. So that's saying a lot. Wow. Both of those measures are for contracts signed, so they're a good indication of closings to come as well as mortgage originations to come, so that's a, that's a good measure. The consumer data that came out last week day was mixed. The consumer confidence numbers fell a little bit while consumer sentiment rose. Not sure. The inner workings, while one's moving in one direction and the other's moving in the other, one has to do more with employment, and uh, that's the one that, that fell a little bit. There was no change in the second quarter estimate for GDP. It stayed at 2%. On Friday, the uh, core PCE came out. The August reading rose at an annualized rate of 1.8%. That was as expected. But when you look at the trend, it was up from 1.7 in July, and that was up from 1.6 in June, which was up from 1.5 in April. So it's certainly showing a trend toward the Fed's goal of 2%, which could play in the Fed's decision-making process at its next meeting. Now, looking at the week ahead this week, Dave, there are several really possible market-moving events, of course, highlighted by Friday's jobs report. Uh, the consensus calls yeah. for 145000 new jobs in September, and, and there's no change expected in, in the unemployment rate. Also during the week, important information from the Institute of Supply Management. The ISM Manufacturing Index for September is expected to show a slight improvement. While on Thursday, the ISM Services Index is expected to show a slight drop. There are Fed speakers just about every day during the week, including a speech by Fed Chairman Powell on Friday at 2 o'clock. There is a lot going on in the news, as I'm sure everyone's aware of China trade issues. Just think about all this. Uh, There was an announcement that the trade talks will resume on October 10th, which is a good thing. But then think of all the other things that have been introduced in the last few days. The U.S. Trade Commission is launching an investigation into several Chinese tech companies for patent infringement. The U.S. has also imposed some sanctions on several Chinese companies for alleged transportation of Iranian oil. There are reports that say the president is considering, as we heard on Friday, limiting investments by U.S. companies in China. And there was some talk about delisting Chinese companies. The market really isn't putting too much stock in those last two things. But you know, when you think about going into a discussion, trade talks on, in ten days, you gotta ask yourself if these things are gonna be good or bad for those talks. We'll see. Uh yeah. and then we got an impeachment proceedings. What's that gonna do to the market? So far it <laughs> hasn't done much. Yeah. Uh, but you know what you certainly could change as new information comes out. and You've got Hong Kong and Iran yeah. and less mentioned Brexit. I mean, there's just a lot going on, which it was nice to have a, a relatively flat week last week, but it certainly has not been the case and may not be the case this week.
0: That's interesting when economic data always gets trumped by political data. And with Trump in there, I think we're always going to have some surprises. But as far as this impeachment thing, I think it's just some bad political theater. I'm not sure. We'll see. But you know what? It doesn't matter. It's how the markets perceive it and where it's going to go. So good stuff. Good information. Thanks, Joe. I appreciate the economic calendar stuff. But I tell you, we're spending more time looking at the news than we are economic data. That's for sure. sure is. Bigger, bigger. Yeah, it seems like the bigger one. Have a great week, Joe. Looking forward to having you back next week. Appreciate you being here with us today and giving us an update. Folks, we're going to run over to Scott Gordon of Open Mortgage talking about the science of sales. Scott?
3: It's been ingrained in us since we were kids that every time someone says, thank you, you're supposed to say, you're welcome.
5: It's expected. But what if I told you that your expected behavior is not building a bridge? One of the fundamental aspects of meaningful relationships is the understanding that you and your partner are in it together. So you help each other out with no need to expect gratitude for favors or services because you expect them to do the same for you someday. Instead of saying, you're welcome, simply say, hey, I know you do the same for me. This changes the dynamic of your relationship. It builds upon the science of reciprocity and implies that you now have the relationship where favors are freely exchanged. This is a minor change in your day-to-day communication, but the results could be huge. If it sounds too good to be true, it's not.
3: It's just the science of sales.
0: Good job, Scott. Appreciate that. Andy and I were having a barbecue on Friday, Saturday. It was a good time. With Andy, I always enjoy my time with him. We were talking about the Science of Sales segment. He really liked the last week's segment, so we'll get his thoughts on this week's segment as well in just a minute. But Alice Alvey's here. Thanks, Alice, for jumping in and helping me out when I'm in my car. I, I think I need to mute so I can drink some coffee and do this, that big mute button there. <laughs> I forgot to shut it off so I could come back on, but thanks for being with us, Alice, and jumping in, Self and saving me. Appreciate it.
6: You're welcome, Dave. Anytime. You know, I start, it starts to feel like a couple seconds, starts to feel like minutes. <laughs> so,
0: oh, I know. Isn't that true? The good yeah, news, Paul so, fixes okay. all of that in the in the post-production. He fixes all of that and makes it all, all better and does such a good job of that. But anyway. We should mention that we uh, interviewed Bill Cosco for an upcoming podcast we got. We got to do this last week. It was really fun. But Alice Alley, for those of you who do not know, I can't imagine that, but she is CMB, Vice President of Education and Training at Union Home Mortgage. Here she is with this week's weekly update. Trying to get that in there. I had so much fun just visiting with you. I don't always put your title in there for those that may not know you.
6: Well, I'm sure there's quite a few of them. So for those of you who might be first-time listeners, I just kind of kick out the hot topics on the legislative front. So usually if you start talking about cannabis, people pay attention uh, in the industry today. So I think <laughs> I kick off with that. <laughs> um, so just uh, – <laughs> oh, wow, this is a great segment. They talk about weed. Um so anyway, the cannabis banking bill, obviously, those of you may who work with this, right, you, you have a borrower who maybe runs a shop and you're like, well, wait a minute, how do I use that as qualifying income if maybe in some views it is a legally run business or it is a legally run business, but then at the same time, the income coming in can't be held at many of the banks. And so how do you manage all of that? So MBAs, Actually, engaging in this to make sure that the bill—a bill just recently came through. It's called the Secure Fair Enforcement Act, Banking Act of 2019. Which you know, couldn't we give it a different name? We already have a Safe Act, so they named it another Safe <laughs> Act. So this doesn't have anything to do with MLO licensing, and they wouldn't put MLO licensing and cannabis together. I assure you. So um, the bipartisan <laughs> bill did pass by 321 to 103 margin. Um, amendments that would prevent. FIFA from taking an adverse supervisory action on a loan made to an owner or an employee of a cannabis-related business were added to the bill before the House actually passed this. So who knows what will happen in the Senate, right? For those of you trying to remember the order of your civics class, on this particular case, the bill just passed the House. We've got a long way to go. Not sure what will happen for it in the Senate, but at least it got one step closer to being able to help these folks with their mortgages. Um, Second on top of that, it's temporary authority. This is a big topic coming up. For those of you who might have used the word transitional licensing, you need to stop using that term because this is not being licensed. It's temporary authority while you as an MLO are in between licenses to be able to take an application. Yeah, so we really stress to folks don't think of yourself as, I'm getting a transitional license. It's really, I'm walking away from one license, I'm still trying to finish qualifying for my next license, and I'm allowed to take applications in between. So uh, there, are, I hear a little blinging, Dave, just so you know. <laughs> so, I hear, there are two scenarios where this applies to you. First is you want to switch from a bank to a lender, and now you need temporary authority to keep taking applications during that transition. The other one is I am already, I'm going to stay at the same company, but now I want to add another state to uh, where I want to be licensed to take additional apps from that state. So again, I get temporary authority to be able to keep moving forward and take apps for a specified period of time. So what I wanted to let everybody know is in the MBA's advisory update that comes out on Monday came out today there's a link in there to the MBA's webinar it's about an hour and a half so get a cup of coffee uh, and put your feet up but it does cover a lot about who is eligible how long does temporary authority last all the details you'd want to know the quick sound bites for all of you that I want to make sure you're absolutely paying attention to is they have made it very clear that you need to be Employed with somebody, right? And I'm, I'm actually now licensed for 30 continuous days. During the past 30 days, I've been continuously employed. And then I've been registered for at least the past 360 days, 65 days, sorry, a full year. And you were registered that entire time. Now, there is a little bit of a leeway in case you had a break in service that was less than 14 days. And so there's lots to understand as you kind of think about All of the little rules that go with trying to make sure I manage my transition appropriately. All of you loan officers who are out there working at banks going, I got to move. I want to get to an independent mortgage banker. How do I do this? Uh, the company that you're moving to should be well-versed in helping you get through that. So we have, for example, an entire licensing team that helps make this super smooth for loan officers uh, who have to walk through that transition. Um, So lots to listen and learn about um, because this becomes eligible November 24th. So Dave, I will pass it back to you. (laughs) <laughs> all right, well, maybe Dave did drop. He hit the wrong button. So, Andy, I'm going to turn it over to you for the Profit Doctor segment.
5: All right, thanks, Alice. Appreciate that. Yeah, I can just see Dave with a cup of coffee in one hand sitting in the car. He's got all the buttons in front of him, and, you know, he's a, he's, a, he's a squirrel guy. He gets distracted by shiny things. So he pushed the wrong button, and pop, his line went out. So let's just keep going. So, Alice, you've been talking about cash flow. And that's always an interesting point because you're talking about cash flow at weed firms. So if you're a a weed firm and you put your money at a bank account at a federally federally insured depository, which is pretty much any bank in the country, those funds are subject to federal seizure because it's a violation of federal law. So that's a bad thing. So good thing in mortgage company, we do have cash flow issues, but we don't run the risk of having all of our funds Seized. but cash flow is an important topic so cash flow is is the gasoline of business people have heard about accounting as the language of business well cash flow is the gasoline of business cash flow is the fuel cash flow is the the element that keeps it moving it's the it's the stuff you need for the flux capacitor to run so if you run out of gas that's a bad thing you run out of fuel that's a bad thing especially when you have payroll that's due the next week. So let's not do that. But we're heading into the slower part of the year. So we're not going to have as much volume in the fall, typically. So that means that we need to be really mindful of our cash flow. We've got to watch that gas tank gauge of our cash flow flowing through our Business. So for a lot of mortgage companies, that means we need to create this gas gauge. And here's where it gets confusing for folks. The profit and loss net income is not the gas gauge for cash flow. Not to get too technical about this, give you a quick example. Net income is for mortgage companies is an accrued process an accrual, things that we're going to make, and it's an accrual of both tangible and intangible revenue. So like the unrealized gain of the interest rate lock commitment is intangible revenue, but it shows up in the P&L indistinguishably. You can't tell of the net income how much was from actually collecting cash on gain on sale and how much was it because you just locked a new loan. So you've got to be able to understand that. And this indistinguishable of intangible revenue is a real problem because it looks like you can spend it, but you can't. So you you got to augment the P&L statement to be able to understand your gas gauge. Let me say it another way. Do not use your P&L statement as a measure of cash flow. It will be wrong, and the more locks you have and the way that you are treating the interest rate lock commitment derivative asset can totally mess this whole thing up, and you think you've got money when you don't. So let's be really careful about that. Let's focus on cash flow. So, so to do that, to think about cash flow, you've got to look at inputs and outputs, things that come in, things that go out. So money in is a good thing. We like getting money in. And I'm not talking about revenue recognition. I'm talking about cash deposited into our bank account. And our bank account is secure and safe, and when it's not going to get seized because we're not in the weed business. So the things that come in are most often gain on sale, loan fees, loan closings, and when the loans are purchased. Those are the two big drivers that make cash flow go up. And the things that make cash flow go out are, well, loan fundings again, because we have a portion of the haircut we have to cover typically, and sometimes the loan fees aren't, aren't enough to cover everything. We also have to pay payroll and pay all of the commissions and we've got occupancy expenses that we have to pay. So money going out are the things that we have to have cash flow to support. Now here's the part that gets tricky in mortgage banking. We collect the gain on sale when the loan is sold. But we actually count the gain on sale. This is the really crazy part. We count the gain on sale when the loan's locked. How insane is that? Gain on sale counting when the loan's locked gained on sale, collected in cash when the loan's sold. So that's why you can't use the P&L. So we're going to look at what's actually happening. So when a loan closes, Dave, you're back?
4: I'm back.
0: Yeah, good job, Eddie. But you're covering So when a loan closes, we were talking about some of this recently.
5: Well, yeah, let me finish my point. I'm, I'm like right in midstream here. So when the loans close, it triggers a commission expense. And that commission expense is typically due within two weeks. But you don't get the money for the commission expense until the loan is sold. So what happens if the investor is super busy because everybody's got refis and they're slower to purchase the loans, and you don't get the loans purchased by the time that the payrolls do? Well, where are you going to get the money for payroll for the closed loans because you haven't sold them yet? This is what you've got to watch. This is the whole key point of a mortgage company cash flow forecasting. you got to do it week by week by week by week and identify which investors, which loan products, which loans are getting purchased quickly when the commissions are due, so that you can make certain that you don't run out of gas because that would be a disaster. We don't want to miss a payroll. That's a bad thing. So watch this stuff. Pay attention to cash flow. And that is
0: Dr. Shell, the Profit Doctor, for this week. And there you go, Dave. Back to you. you Well, hopefully it's back to me. I was uh, having trouble. The Block Talk Radio's website just keeps muting me, and <laughs> so I had it all on here in the car. Everything was good, and then it just worked that way. So, anyway, thank you. Good job. It's fun having barbecue with you on uh, on Saturday as well, Andy. Appreciated that. Absolutely. And, uh, so much. That I want to talk about your. You are now officially Doctor Andy Shell, the Prophet Doctor. So. It is official. Official. I guess it was. A, we may have said that last week, but gotta it's stress it. It's very big, big accomplishment to get your doctorate. And he no more finished it, listeners. And he enrolled for another doctorate program. I mean, isn't it like? Yeah, like I just had one root canal. I enjoyed it so much. I want to go and just have another one done, even though I don't need it. That just cracks me up.
5: Well, you've got to be able to communicate the the solutions that are identified. And so this this next PhD is actually in. Communications, which is a much broader topic, it's kind of closer to music and psychology, oh, yeah. but it's about how to communicate, how to get people to hear what you're saying, how to know, how to present it so that they'll hear what you said. Yeah. And you're you're gifted at that, Dave. You're very naturally gifted. But I'm going to expand on this so I can write my books on how to teach people about how to understand financial statements of mortgage companies.
0: That's good, profit doctor with, with a real hopefully. official title, doctor. You bet. <music> you guys to consider Knowledge Coop. If you're looking for a fun and easy training technology, check out our friends at KnowledgeCube.
2: Hey, Nathan here from the KnowledgeCube. Do you need to teach a course? Have you considered maybe using the Socratic method? See, it's a process of using questions that engage learners to question their assumptions in order to eliminate contradictions. The primary goal is not to have listeners try to answer unanswerable questions, but to get them to develop critical thinking and to keep them engaged in your topic. Have you got some training to do? Check out The Knowledge Coop for fun and easy video-based training for the mortgage professionals out there. And it's all powered by a smart digital platform. Check out
0: knowledgecoop.com. We've got our good friend Alan Pollock
2: with us, and he
0: was at the Tech Conference. I am interested to hear what you learned at the Tech Conference. Good to have you here.
1: So good to be here. Thanks for the intro, Andy. Congratulations on the PhD. I didn't know that was completed as well. And um, you know, digital, yeah, digital mortgage was awesome. Um, The reason it was awesome is that you know you get to you get to see forty plus demos. You get to hear what technology companies are thinking of. Um, I I have a couple notes here that I'll read off. I I don't want to go through the whole conference. I'll be more than happy to talk to anyone that wants to chat. But um, the conference gets bigger and bigger every year. This year was the biggest. Um, A lot of people were walking around saying they had a great time. And I don't mean time by the events and get-togethers afterwards. I mean just by, you know, the the types of technology they got to to watch and see and even touch and feel. Um, You know, these demos had to be real live demos. They couldn't be PowerPoints or screenshots. And so let's go through a couple of these. The first one, David, uh, there was a lot of talk about appraisal management technology. Um, There was a few companies that were offering this, Exos, Regora, and there was one or two others and and basically giving the borrower control over ordering the appraisal and being notified Ah. and transparent during the process, even receiving the appraisal afterwards. The other thing that I thought was interesting, this is my second item was a company called Brace. Brace is servicing technology and what they're doing that's really unique is that it's loss mitigation. It's based on being able to identify issues that are going to happen before they happen and using technology to help smooth out that process, reduce time, Maybe even look for better opportunities for those customers that are being serviced. So very interesting on the servicing side. You know, we've heard of Capsalon. We've heard of Low Magic. This is my third item. Those two companies, and there was others as well. By the way, everybody's talking about automated OCR and data extraction. There's a lot of different terms to define it. What they were showing is that they were showing automated underwriting being a part of uploading documents and extracting data and automating it. Both of them had very different experiences, but very much the same as far as trying to move the loan faster, automating it, retrieving that data, and, and making things more efficient, right? Using the human element, the people power, where it's truly needed and not where it's not needed. Point of sale, David, number four. Point of sale was still strong. Many point of sale vendors there. Many people offering point of sale solutions. I have to tell you, the demos all showed great. There was way too many vendors to mention. Many focused on different types of interview styles. Some took a different approach, like Black Knight was there, and they talked about how they're more of a TurboTax interview type of style rather than fill out questions. I can tell you that everybody's working towards the transparency, faster speed, really enabling borrowers. There was one vendor in particular. um, There's actually two of them. Customizations were important, right? Completely being able to customize the experience. I'll tell you what was missing. The judges and there were new judges this year, except for one of them was the same. The judges basically said, we were missing live communication, the ability to instantly chat. We're missing real-time collaboration, notifications. Those were things that they may be there, but in that eight-minute demo each technology company has, right, there wasn't enough time to explain that. But that's what they said was missing from the point of sale side. A couple more I'm going to go through really quick, David. Nest Ready is um, kind of interesting. They're working towards the buyer process. And as a loan officer, for example, you can implement their technology and your potential borrower or your leads can actually track all of the homes that they're looking at. And this will then further track the relationship with the realtor. It will track the price of the home. It will provide additional information about all the properties in the area and how the home price is doing in the market. The things you would look at individually, it aggregates it together, but it keeps the pricing and the, and the communication and the relationship with the loan officer intact. So you want to check out Nest Ready. Next one, David, it's Finlocker. So cool what they have. Oh, yeah. It's almost like we've heard the word PFM. It's not exactly. It is a full, let's say, a 360 degree of your personal finances, but they really are. And they're going to be tied, by the way, to financial institutions and, and all types of consumer products, right? Credit cards, auto loans, unsecured loans. But they were focused on mortgage. They're a D1C approved vendor. So they have income and liabilities. Um, they look at your larger financial well-being, they have a live AI chat piece embedded, and they truly help you get a better view of um, your financial well-being and getting into a new mortgage or even getting a home equity line approved. Construction management, David, was big. Land Gorilla was the one demo that I liked. Just major efficiencies in the process of disbursement and just, and just trans management recording. If you're big in construction management lending, you want to take a look at Land Gorilla by the way, David, one of my favorites, not who the winner was, and I'm going to announce that in a second, one of my favorites was LBAware. They released a brand-new BI platform called Gear. It's got a Kanban view of columns that you can customize, and you can customize the cars to see loans and aspects of the loan, risk and different elements based on the status and the milestones they're in. And they even have where you can customize the components, you can, they have hundreds of components, and you can even customize metrics and thresholds as to how things color and alert you. Very interesting, by the way. So you want to check out LBAware. I've, yeah. Uh, one more, yeah. One more I did want to mention, which is um, Jane.ai. If you remember that, um, Jane.ai was a company that um, basically was for the loan officer. You can interact with it and say, hey, how many closings do I have today? And Jane would go and find that. Well, the name of their company has changed. It's actually called Capacity and they've expanded what they're – instead of just asking questions and getting answers, they've expanded their AI platform to now actually be able to do more things, right, to almost like RPA to actually perform tasks and and run things in parallel. So you want to check out Capacity. They had a great demo. So there was two winners, David. The winners were – are you ready? It was Finicity. Yes. So I didn't tell you that Finicity went on, but Finicity has a full income analysis that they do. They said the automated verification is only 25% of uh, the loans that are done today. It's a full waterfall. It's usually a manual process. They've completely automated it. They won the prize, but they shared it with CoreLogic, who has their brand new platform called Automate IQ. It's actually Automate IQ Collateral, and it, it's basically technology that says, who owns the property, what's it worth, and what is its risk profile like? And if you know CoreLogic and all the technology that they have, they basically put all these things together and they, this is the result of the aggregation of those different the logic and those technologies and, and those platforms. But I will tell you, effective, efficiencies, effectiveness, transparency, those are all the hot topics. The industry is getting much further along. And then second to that, David, I also, I, I left Digital Mortgage and ran over to the Five Star Conference in Dallas. I spoke on a panel oh, yeah. uh, with a couple of great people. It was a fintech lab at the Five Star Conference. I saw great attendance there, by the way. My panel was uh, moderate. The whole fintech lab was managed by strategic venture partners. I don't know if you all may know Jennifer McGuinness and Dietrich Dunn. Uh, they did a fantastic job. Um, my panel specifically was digital mortgages, the future of lending. And what we really focused on was not that, hey, digital mortgages are here or, um, hey, you need a digital mortgage. It was about how to really implement digital mortgage, what to look out for, how, how, what does it mean, not just today, but for the future how to better integrate solutions together, how to manage those solutions. Really, David, a lot of the things we talk about on the on on the on the segments here, as well as what Alice and what Andy talk about. We had um, an attorney on our panel who talked about, you know, how to correctly get through contracts, how to manage compliance correctly. It's not just as simple as buying technology and installing it. And so if you were at Five Star and you were at my panel, thank you for being there. But otherwise, more than happy to chat with anybody. And uh, that's the quick digital mortgage roundup. Oh, good David, job. I'm going to steal another second. Uh, we, we are, so this is what we're going to do. We're going to put together a survey, and we're going to get that out to everybody. I tracked all the things that people say when they were showing technology. I'm just going to read a couple, and I'd love to see what, what our, what our audience thinks. So,
3: yeah.
1: So I'm just going to read a couple quick ones. I heard borrower touch points. I heard time suck, stare and compare, never go off platform. I heard liberate human talent. I heard uh, point of sale consolidation. I heard enable customer for life. Here's a, just a couple quick mores. People spackle. Uh, that was a funny one. I heard simple, fast, accurate. Um, it's all about accessibility, unified platform, stitching in with the partners, lineage of data, and I'll end it. I'll end it with this one. Fancy schmancy technology. So Fancy. I've got. Yeah, I've got a nice big list. Oh, Why don't funny. we put together? Why don't we put together a survey? Let's get it out to our audience and let people vote on the on the best or the
0: funniest. That would be hilarious.
3: The, yeah. That would be hilarious. That would be good. Yeah, i love that.
0: That's a great idea. Appreciate it. Thanks for the update. A lot of information. I heard it was well. It was a great conference. I did not know that you also went to Five Star and spoke at that. It's good to hear that that was well attended. So, good job. Appreciate Absolutely. it very, very much. You bet. Good to have you back and at work. Time you do some work and traveling around all the things you do, and glad to hear about Lori with LBA LBAware launching that new product. Very excited yeah. to hear about more about that. Very good. Well, folks, we are excited to uh, be wrapping up the first part of the podcast. I also want to say next week we're going to be having because I'm going to be jumping in and running to the airport here in just a minute, going in and catching a flight. So we have the pre-recorded podcast that I'll talk about in just a minute. But I want to tell you next week we're going to have Marcia Davies on, and we're going to talking about Empower. We are going to be there again this year with the podcast recording many interviews. But if you are there, and Alice, you can if you're still on the line, you can jump in. And, and just the importance of empower and make sure you have good representation at the conference. Alice, do you want to add anything to that?
6: Yes, absolutely. I I mean, the agenda is terrific, and uh, it really does help the women of the organization come together even as their own team. So by sending a group of women from your company to the event, it gives them opportunities to share ideas as well as learn from Speakers who are there. We all have walked away. All the years has been held with lots of great information and energy that really can have a long-term impact on your organization. So I really stress: send a group of women to that event. You will see the benefits.
0: Yes, you'll see the benefits. Yes, yes, for sure. Thank you, Alice. I want to say a special thank you to our sponsors: Black Knight, Open Mortgage, Banastra, ResX Warehouse Lending, a division of United Bank, the MBA Lenders One, the Mortgage Collaborative also known as TMC, and the Community Mortgage Lenders of America, CMLA, Velma, KnowledgeCoup, Vidyard, and AI Assist. If you're interested in learning more about advertising with us, we just picked up another advertiser, another lender. Glad to have more lenders coming on board. Appreciate you making these programs possible. Also, then, a special thank you goes out to Alice, Allen, Andy, and Joe for their ongoing contributions. We can't say enough about our uh, producer. Our uh, sound man, so a special thank you to him. Now we're going to get into the hot topic segment today, and we've got back with us Alan Bernard. Alan is one of the leading decision scientists and theory of constraint experts in the world. He is CEO of Goldrat Research Labs. He worked directly with a very famous guy, Dr. Eli Goldrat an international best-selling author and scientist, as well as business leader, and the guy of created the theory or came up with the concept and created the term that we now call the Theory of Constraints. Here's my interview with Alan Bernard earlier this week. Folks, I'm thrilled to have back on the podcast Dr. Alan Bernard. For those of you that are regular listeners, you know we recorded a podcast back in April 29th of this year, 2019. Hard to believe it's been this long. We've been in constant contact with Dr. Bernard as I see so much applicability of his message, what he is teaching in the theory of constraints to our industry. And so I've invited him back and they're also going to talk about an upcoming event. We'll touch on that in just a minute. But Dr. Bernard, again, for those of you who are not familiar with him, he's the world's leading decision scientist and theory of constraints expert. As many of you know, I host this podcast, which is dedicated to keeping mortgage executives and mortgage participants abreast of all that's going on in the industry. But also, I'm a consultant to the mortgage industry and have been for over 18 years. And my mission is to help mortgage banking or mortgage lenders of all shapes and sizes and their management teams overcome obstacles that are facing them. In other words, obstacles show up in the form of constraints. So when we look at constraints and we have someone who studies how to overcome them, and the decisions that go into it, I just can't get enough of someone who has this knowledge, who has dedicated themselves to this. So excited to have you back on the podcast, Dr. Bernard. Thank you for joining us again.
7: Thank you so much for the opportunity to to speak to you again. I think the the context of the the discussion for today is, I have a research lab, Golden Research Lab, and what we focus on specifically is helping individuals and organizations make better, faster decisions when it really matters. And of course, the importance of that objective in the context of the methodology that we use, which is fear of constraints, is that the the ultimate constraint for, for any one of us and for any business is really the limited attention that we have what and who we pay attention to, you know, makes all the difference. For all of us, the number of things that demand our attention will always exceed our available attention. So we have to be really careful what and who we pay attention to, how we, we, we utilize this scarce resource. Uh, the workshop uh, masterclass that we are presenting on the 25th of October is specifically focusing on sharing with attendees a, a new technique that we've developed to help anybody make better, faster decisions when it really matters. And I'm, I'm super ex- excited to be partnering with you in hosting this uh, master class on decision making on the 25th of October in Austin, Texas.
0: I really am excited to be partnering with you on this master class on October 25th which is Friday it just happens again be just before the NBA conference or fly in early for it or if you're in the Austin area, be sure to sign up for this before it fills up. And I say there are a limited number of seats. When I say that, I really mean it. There is another industry that is also partnering with Alan and I on this. So uh, we want to get as many of these seats taken by the mortgage community because I really believe it'll help you. So go to our show notes in this podcast and you'll see a link to register for this masterclass and workshop. And so please do so. If you are listening to this on Blog Talk Radio, it should also be there, or if you're listening to it on any of the other streaming devices, go to LykkeonLending.lykkenonlending.com and look for this episode and be sure to click on the link. We talked in your last podcast about a number of things, and we really got the topic of theory of constraint opened up. And we talked about your book, which I have gone back through and reread several times. It's the it's impossible unless I love that question. And I love how you frame that up. And in that podcast, we talked about how you were talking to a group of miners in South Africa that were falling way behind of their goals and objectives. And it's going to have a financial consequence and significant business consequence to them if they did not get up to speed. So they brought you in. The most important part I want to underscore about that story, and we're not going to get into that story because I'm going to tell our listeners, go back and listen to the April 29th, 2019 podcast. We get into that story pretty in depth. But here's the most important part of that story. Dr. Bernard is not a mining expert. In fact, I believe, if I'm correct, Alan, you had never worked with a mine, consulted anybody with a mine, or knew anybody that had a mine. Is that
7: correct? Uh, Yes, at that time, that was correct,
0: yeah. It always comes down to the limiting beliefs that keep companies from prospering and growing. So, Alan, let's get into that. How important is it to have industry knowledge in doing what you do? I love that story about the miners. You had never been in a mine, never (laughs) didn't know anything about it, but yet you helped them solve one of their biggest problems. How important is it? And if
7: it isn't important, what is important? I think uh, if you put reference to it, you know, theory of constraints uh, provides us with a framework uh, uh, to help us identify constraints within systems, find out ways to better exploit and not waste that scarce resource make sure that we subordinate everything, you know, in the, in the organizational system to that decision, elevate it, and then go back to step one of the constraint of moved. So what I normally find is that what's important is that we have a framework by which we look at the world that allows us to to make sense of the world. And when we go into an environment where we don't have intuition, it can be quite a bit scary. But there are, of course, a few questions that, that we could ask. And one of those questions is, you know, what is the scarcest resource, What the weakest link in the chain? And I think people just intuitively get that. You know, if you want to improve the system, if you want to strengthen the chain, you have to focus on the weakest link. When it came to that mining experience, there's a couple of questions I've developed over a few years that helps you to make sense of an environment where you don't have experience or intuition on. And one of those questions would be, what is the difference between the best that you've ever achieved... And the average performance. So if you think about the question of you walk into an environment, you don't have much experience and intuition about, but somehow they've asked you to help them identify, you know, can we do better? And if so, how? So the first question, can we do better? One question to ask without needing any domain experience is what's the difference between the best and the average because clearly they've achieved the best with the resources they already have. So it's really understanding what was the conditions that enabled them to achieve the best performance, the best day or the best month, and asking yourself and them, why can't we replicate those conditions every single day? So if you imagine going into environment, uh, I had another experience where you go into environment, it's in Japan, the company builds and sells houses, I don't know much about selling houses, never mind selling houses in Japan. And the question is, can they do much better? Well, one good question to ask would be, what is the difference between your best salesperson and the average salesperson in the number of houses that they sell per month? Once you establish that there's a big gap, then you can go into the next question to say, why is there such a gap? What's the conditions that enable this top salesperson to achieve the top sales performance every single month? And is there a practical, simple, low-cost way of replicating those conditions every single day? So that's one of the questions that I use when I go into an environment where I don't have uh, domain experience, is to ask them to share with me what's the difference between the, the best and the average or the best and the rest. And that gap normally tells you, wow, there's improvement potential here, all that we need to do is to figure out what are the conditions that will allow them to achieve their best performance every single day. It's the same mechanism that I've used in the, in the reference to the title of my book that you've mentioned. It's impossible unless it's, you are going into an environment It's maybe your own life, your own business, uh, somebody else's business. And you don't really have a lot of intuition and experience about that. But you want to see how it's possible to, to achieve much more, much better, much faster, much simpler, much cheaper. And one of the techniques that I've developed that's really simple is you ask them what is their goal or you ask yourself what's your goal and you you ask yourself, is it realistic? Do you know how to achieve it? Well, the challenge is if you say it's realistic, you already think you know And that's not going to help your your mind uncover new knowledge. It's not going to help them uncover new knowledge if they already think they know how to achieve a target. So we have to overcome that limitation. And the way to overcome it is to ask yourself or them to keep on increasing the target, either in magnitude or shorten the duration, until they say absolutely convincing, okay, now this is impossible to achieve. And as soon as you say it's impossible to achieve, of course, that could be a limiting assumption. And the question is, how do I overcome it or expose it even? I just say it's impossible unless. And what it does is it forces the mind to lift those conditions that will make the impossible possible. So those are just two simple techniques. If you go into an environment where you don't have much experience or intuition about and you still want to help them or they've asked you to help them, is the one is to focus on, is there a big gap between the best day or the best month or the best person in that industry and the average? And if so, what are the conditions that can allow them to achieve that best performance on every single day? And the second technique is this: using this impossible unless technique. Let's talk about some of the successes you've had. You've had
0: amazing successes right here in the state of Texas with some other states and governments on dealing with some constraints. Give us some more examples so that people can start putting this in their own mind or how to, how to frame this up in their thinking.
7: So uh, I think the, the, the successes is, is more the successes of the methodology. So theory of constraints is a generic methodology. That can be applied to any any system, whether that system is a single person business, or it's a you know Fortune 500 company, or maybe it's a it's a non-government agency or government agency. The process is always the same. It says start with what's the goal that you're trying to achieve. Make sure it's an ambitious goal because that ha- allows us to really you know test our own assumptions and beliefs, and then ask yourself what is the constraint to achieving more of that goal? What is the resource that if you had more of that resource, you definitely could achieve the goal. The next question is then of course to say, okay, if there is the scarce resource, how do I fully utilize it? How do I better exploit it and not waste its potential? And then subordinate everything to that decision so that the system can be elevated to a next level of performance. And I think what what uh, an amazing team in the Texas government that that has uh, um, has shown, as with other governments, is that if you apply that technique to a government agency, you know then. Of course, you, you will be able to focus the, the, the limited resources on identifying those opportunities that give you the biggest opportunity for improvement. So if you think about a government agency, maybe the problem there is that the demand for the services is exceeding the available capacity to provide those services. And of course, the simple solution is just add more budget. But there's a substantial constraint in the budget that's available we first wanna make sure that we are utilizing that budget in the best possible way. And in that way, you can then identify where are the ways where we are not utilizing the budget in the best possible way, and what should we be focusing that budget on that will actually help us to better utilize the capacity that we've got. We've seen tremendous results in Utah government. Uh, two, two weeks ago, I was in Utah State, where the governor and uh, the director of the um, governor's office for, for management and budgeting shared the results that they've achieved, remarkable results that they've achieved, with applying theory of constraints to all the state agencies in Utah State Government, they, they mentioned that over the last four years since they started, they'd increased productivity of every agency by more than 25%. This was an ambitious target that the wow. governor had, and people were very skeptical that it would be possible to achieve that. Because, of course, as soon as you talk about improving productivity, immediately people think, well, that probably means budget cuts, but we introduced a, a very simple measurement for productivity which is the quality throughput so the throughput is the work that that agency doing is it's counting that maybe it's the issuing of business licenses or how many samples a specific lab is, is uh, processing for the courts and for the healthcare system that's the throughput component the quality component is how many of those meet the criteria of the customer Uh, So that's quality throughput. That gives you the output that you are achieving. And then below the line is the operating expenses, all the costs that you incur to achieve that quality throughput. And what they've shown over the last four years is, in every agency where theory of constraints have been applied, is to consistently achieve an improvement that was greater than 25% improvement. And, of course, because there's three factors, you can improve it in three ways, right? You can go faster uh, to increase the throughput with the same resources. You can do it better. You can improve the quality of the service that you're providing with the same resources. And then, lastly, you can do it cheaper. You can uh, reduce those avoidable expenses. So what we've seen is that wherever this methodology of theory of constraints is applied and it's connected with the right measurement, it's guiding people to do what's best for the system as a whole. And whenever you can do that, whenever you can focus resources on a single goal and removing those few constraints that is limiting them from achieving the goal, you always get absolutely remarkable results.
0: What are you thinking are the biggest factors that go into the success of the theories of constraints?
7: That's a great question. I think it uh, as a methodology, you know, it can be applied to a single process. So, if you think about a specific process, maybe preparing invoices in a, fi- in a finance department, if the demand of the system in terms of the work required to, to, to prepare the invoices is exceeding the available capacity, you know, then you have a resource that's a, a, a bottleneck in that area. And of course, you can then get benefit if you can find ways of better utilizing that resource to be able to fully meet the demand that the system is placing on. So you you can immediately gain benefit if you apply a theory of constraints at a local level, as long as it's used to solve a problem where the demand is exceeding the available capacity of that department. But the real benefit comes when you apply it to the system as a whole, where you look at what's the goal of the system as a whole, and what are the few things that is limiting or blocking that system from achieving more of those goal units? That's where you get the major results is when you apply theory of constraints at a system level.
0: You talk in your book about resource utilization, and this has been a challenge in the mortgage lending industry. We have peaks and valleys. The Federal Reserve drops the rate or raises the rate, and it has a dramatic impact on the volumes that we have going through our industry. And so we go from stability, sometimes excess capacity, to what we're going through right now because of lower interest rates. Is just seems like for some companies sheer chaos how can they get it all through they're struggling they're throwing bodies at the problem their costs are going up their margins are going down if you were sitting with a mortgage lender today who is throwing bodies at the problem I'm sure this is not unique just to the mortgage lending industry how would you go in and start
7: approaching that problem I think that's a great question I think it's a problem that's not just unique to the mortgage industry One of the toughest problems we have as as managers and business owners is to to balance demand and supply, right? As you mentioned, the two mistakes that we can can make is we have too much capacity for the demand, and then we're serving with a lot of capacity that's incurring costs that we might have to finally uh, lay off if it's people. Or the opposite is we don't have enough capacity to fully meet the demand, and that means we can't capitalize on our upturn in the market. So what we do in our research lab, called Research Lab, is we, we study the, the type of decisions that managers face and why they get it wrong. So if you think about that problem, which is if I have a certain demand, but that demand is fluctuating up and down, how do I then decide how much resources to allocate to meet that demand? And the mistake that we can make is that we allocate resources based on the long-term forecast. All that we know about the long-term forecast is it will be wrong, which means that we'll make <laughs> one of those two mistakes. We'll either allocate too much resources or too little resources, and then we won't be able to fully capitalize on an upturn in the market. So a better way of approaching it is to say, is there an opportunity to aggregate the resources, keep it central, and only allocate it once I'm absolutely sure that there's a demand for that service. So if you think about, say I've got uh, uh, two departments, and both of these departments think that there will be a demand of 10 on them for the year, but that demand could fluctuate somewhere between 5 and 15. Another question is, how much resources should I give them? If I give them enough resources to cope with the extreme scenario of each experiencing a demand of 15, most of the time, you know, I'll have too much resources sitting idle, not doing anything. At the same time, if I only give them enough resources to cope with a five, you know, then clearly they won't be able to, to meet the demand that's put on them. So what we tend to do is we say, what's the average demand? Let's say it's 10, and then we allocate both departments enough resources to cope with a 10, but it hasn't solved the problem because when the demand is down to five, you know, they have too much. When the demand is at 15, they they don't have enough. So a better way of doing it is to say, why can't we allocate them the absolute bare minimum so that they have it right on site? So we give them as much as they need to to deal with five or maybe six or seven or eight And and that's what we allocate fixed to them because we absolutely know that they will use that. But then we keep the rest of the resources central and we monitor the backlogs for each of these or the queues waiting for them. And as the queue in department one grows, we can dynamically allocate more resources to them. When the queue goes down, we can move those resources back centrally and then allocate them maybe to department two. So that's a that's a different way of dealing with these quite normal fluctuations and the constraint moving from the production side or the service provision side where we don't have enough capacity to meet the demand, and then next the next month suddenly there's now too much capacity, is to keep those resources centrally. If you think about a practical example of most organizations do annual budgeting, this is a great example of making that mistake where you ask people – to decide how much resources they need to meet a forecasted demand. And then not only you allocate those resources for the whole year and you fix it, but you then amplify that mistake by having the spend it or lose it policy in, in organizations. So if they don't need it, they have to use it, else they will lose it. And if they, if they don't have enough, of course, they have to ask for more. A much better way of, of making that decision would be to say, We'll allocate the bare minimum resources to every department, and then we'll just dynamically monitor. So if they need more, we have some buffer centrally that we can allocate dynamically. And as soon as they don't need it anymore, it comes back to the center, and then we can allocate it somewhere else where it's needed. So that's probably the best way of dealing with any industry that's facing the problem of fluctuations, substantial fluctuations in the demand is not to have a a fixed policy of allocating the resources, but to have a much more dynamic way of allocating the resources based on where it's really needed.
0: The consulting you're doing, does it work better for large organizations or is this something that
7: even smaller organizations can avail themselves and benefit from? The results that have been shown with theory of constraints over the past 30 years have shown that it it can apply to any size of organization. It can apply to any type of organization, whether it's for profit or not for profit. The, the only requirement is that that organization has a goal and that there are some resources that are required in order to achieve that goal and, and how, how, what is the best way of doing it? The best way is to find out what resource, if I had more of it, can help me achieve more of those goal units and make sure that you don't waste that resource. And when it's still after, you know, making sure that you don't waste it, it's still the the bottleneck or the weakest link Then to go and get more. And that provides you with a systematic way of continuously improving any system. But as you mentioned in your short introduction, it can also apply at the individual level. What's our bottleneck, you know, as an individual? And it's clear that there's one resource that satisfies the criteria for a bottleneck. A bottleneck is simply a resource where the, the, the demand on that resource exceeds its available capacity. And as I mentioned in the, in the previous discussion we had, if you think about your limited attention, right, the things that demand our attention on a daily basis or could benefit from our attention on a daily basis will always exceed our available attention. So limited attention is clearly our bottleneck. That's the thing that's limiting us from achieving more of the goals that's important to us as individuals in life. And how do we apply fear of constraint to that? The first step is make sure you don't waste that scarce resource. You know, what and who you pay attention to can make all the difference. If you pay attention to the right things, to the right people, you know, you could achieve goals that you thought impossible. But if you pay attention to the wrong things and the wrong people, then the opposite becomes true. Then suddenly you, you make the possible <laughs> impossible, if that makes it possible. Sense. Yes. So it's universally applicable. It can apply to any system as long as the system has a goal, and it requires resources to achieve that goal. Then fear of constraints can be applied very, very effectively to, to help you utilize those resources that are the scarcest resource in a much, much better way to achieve much more of the goal units.
0: When you're talking about resources, Dr. Bernard, you have created an app that is free to help individuals
7: and is, I guess, applicable to helping companies. Yes. So just a little bit of background. So as I mentioned, our research lab is focusing on helping individuals and organizations make better, faster decisions, specifically related to the allocation of scarce resources. And one of our scarce resources, as I mentioned, is our limited time and attention. So what we did was we said, okay, we'd like to create a process that will help somebody make better, faster decisions when it really matters, whether it's in their personal life or in their organization. Uh, We developed this this methodology called the Pro-Con Cloud Method. It's kind of an evolution of Benjamin Franklin's famous uh, Pro-Con List, uh, where you simply list the pros and cons of a a decision that you're facing. This is an advancement to that. It it keeps all the benefits of the old method, but also addresses some of its limitations. So we developed the methodology. We tested it both in the private sector, public sector, and then with individuals, We then developed a training program to train people how to use the method on any difficult decision they're facing. And the final step of that evolution was then to develop an app to make this process available to to anybody. So as you rightly pointed out, we've got an app. It's called the Harmony Decision Maker app. You can download it from from any of the the app stores on on your mobile phone or tablet. We also have a web version of the app that's available via harblytoc.com, And the app just guides the user through these five steps of the Procon Cloud method. So what's the problem or decision that you're facing? What's the conflict in terms of dealing with the two options that you've got? How to come up with options, new options that will give you more upside and less downside than the ones that you previously considered? How to use the feedback of stakeholders to make the solution even more robust? and then to design a a little experiment that you can go and test. What the app has allowed us to do is not only provide a simple way for people to be guided through the process, but they can actually share their analysis and implementation status, either anonymously Mm. or with their full name via the app. So in our community library for users that download the app, you can literally do a search and say, you know, I'm currently dealing with a problem of uh, quitting a bad habit like smoking or vaping. Who else in the world has faced this difficult decision of what's the best way of doing it? And you can go into our community library and it will show you instances where other people have faced the same decision, what was the limiting assumptions or beliefs that they ended up challenging, and what was the outcome of their results? So so that's the idea with the app is to, to make this process available to as many people around the world. And as you mentioned, we do have a, a masterclass where we teach people how to use the, the methodology, and I use the app in that masterclass. And the next one that's coming up will be on the 25th of October in, in in Austin, Texas, where I'm personally presenting this this masterclass. Dr. Bernard, talk about this masterclass
0: that you're going to be doing here in Austin. What's the format? It's a one-day format, is that correct?
7: It's a, a one-day format, and it really is a masterclass about decision-making. How do you how do you make better, faster decisions when it really, really matters, right? Uh, you, you probably know the research shows that we make about 35,000 odd decisions every single day. The the good news is most of those don't matter, right? What we eat, what we right. wear, et cetera, it might feel important, but in the biggest scheme of things, it doesn't matter. But there's a few that do matter. You know, getting those right or wrong can make a big difference – in in our performance as individuals, but also the performance of our organization. And what the masterclass does, it teaches you a method that you can then use to first of all understand why we all sometimes overreact and make bad changes or choices in our life or our business or why we often procrastinate and not make good changes or choices in our life or our business. So that's the first outcome that attendees will Receive when they attend the masterclass is I will be sharing with them all the latest knowledge from decision scientists in why we make these two fundamental mistakes. And then I'll share with them this five-step process that they can use on any decision and that they can take with them together with the app that they can apply to any decision that they face after that. The real benefit of attending the masterclass is that attendees actually bring with them some really difficult problem or decision that they're facing right now in their personal life or in their business. And the guarantee is that by the end of the day, they would have made a remarkable breakthrough in that decision or problem, and they will walk away with a breakthrough solution that they can can go and test. So those are the three outcomes that attendees will, will achieve by attending. They will gain much deeper insight into why good people like like us, make and often repeat bad decisions. They will learn a process that they can use to prevent those mistakes in the future, but then the majority of the workshop is an interactive workshop where they're gonna be using the process and the app to help them make a better, faster decision on any tough decision that they're currently facing.
0: Well, I am so excited about this master class. Our podcast is sponsoring it, as well as our consulting firm, Transformational Mortgage Solutions. Also, we have some uh, someone from within that used to work for the, within the Texas government that's benefited from this. That's gone into independent consulting doing it. It's not just for mortgage lenders. We're going to have other industries there represented at this class. And how can they learn more? You have a website where they can go
7: register for this conference. We have a website called tocodyssey.org, and that's our our not-for-profit organization through which we are doing all these masterclasses, so tocodyssey.org. Well, we'll have that link
0: in the podcast notes, folks, so head over to our website, look at Unlending, and download or go into this episode, and you will see a link to this master class, and you can get registered. I encourage you to find that and get connected to it. Of course, you can text me. I'll be happy to text it out to you if you want to get a hold of me. Dr. Bernard, thank you so much for taking time to be here with me today. It's uh, I'm very excited about this master class, and I want to continue introducing you in these concepts to our industry. And so very excited. And the nice part about the Masterclass is it's just before the Mortgage Banking Conference that starts on Sunday. Now, if you're going to Empower, that starts on Saturday. So come on in a day early and join us at the Masterclass. Very exciting, Dr. Bernard. Very excited to have you presenting to those of us who can be in attendance excited to have you on the podcast again I wish you the best and appreciate you very much and all the work that you're doing thank you Dave I want to tell you next week we're gonna have Marsha Davies on and we're going to talking about empower we are going to be there again this year with the podcast recording many interviews but if you are there and Alice you can if you're still on the line you can jump in and and just the importance of empower and make sure you have good representation at the conference. Alice, you want to add anything to that?
6: Yes, absolutely. I, I mean, the agenda is terrific, and uh, it really does help the women of the organization come together even as their own team. So by sending a group of women to your, from your company to the event, it gives them opportunities to share ideas as well as learn from speakers who are there. We all have walked away. All the years has been held with lots of great information and energy that really can have a long-term impact on your organization. So I really stress send a group of women to that event. You will see
0: the benefits. Yes, you'll see the benefits. Yes, yes, for sure. Thank you, Alice. I want to say a special thank you to our sponsors Black Knight, Open Mortgage, Finastra, ResX Warehouse Lending, a division of United Bank, the MBA, Lenders One, the Mortgage Collaborative, also known as TMC, and the Community Mortgage Lenders of America, CMLA, Velma. Knowledge Coop, Vidyard, and AI Assist. If you're interested in learning more about advertising with us, we just picked up another advertiser, another lender. Glad to have more lenders coming on board. Appreciate you making this program possible. Also, then, a special thank you goes out to Alice, Allen, Andy, and Joe for their ongoing contributions. You've been listening to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin of Transformational Mortgage Solutions. Thanks for listening.